Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, new sexual abuse charges have been leveled against the recently deceased Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias. We'll have the latest. Also on today's program, when unwanted or disruptive people log on to your Zoom meeting, that's coming to be called Zoom bombing. It's starting to happen in church services and other worship gatherings. We'll have a report. And we'll have the latest installment in our Generous Living series. Today, a couple from Manhattan who gave up the Wall Street lifestyle so they could support God's work. Up first today, an update on the story we first brought to you in July. BlackBaud, one of the nation's largest fundraising and donor management companies, announced this week that personal data of some of the donors to charities that use BlackBaud software were exposed to cyber criminals. In July, we reported that BlackBaud paid an undisclosed ransom to those cyber criminals after discovering that they had been hacked. Uh, it's a hack, though, that had gone on for about three months before they finally detected it in May. The Charleston, South Carolina-based company notified clients of the hack on July 16, but the company was criticized even then uh, for waiting so long between the time of the discovery of the hack and the notification of charities. So why did they wait so long? Well, officials said that it was a sophisticated hack and they needed time to assess what had actually happened. But this new information that personal data was also exposed will further damage BlackBaud's credibility. The firm is already under investigation in the United Kingdom for possible violation of regulations there regarding the handling of data. And at least five class action lawsuits have been filed in the United States against BlackBaud by both individuals and and nonprofits. What's BlackBaud saying now? Well, officials at BlackBaud have declined to discuss the potential legal issues other than to say that the firm does have cybersecurity insurance. Among the demands in the legal actions is that personal data be monitored and that those monitoring services actually be provided to the clients. A BlackBaud official said that the firm will provide services and support, including identity theft protection services for constituents where applicable. Well, I almost hate to ask. But does Ministry Watch use BlackBaud? No, we don't. <laughs> but we um, you, we do use a service like BlackBaud. It's called Virtuous, which a lot of uh, Christian nonprofits have used. Um, we like you, Virtuous, and we've never had any issues with them. But I think it's important that Christian nonprofits don't get cocky about this, even if they haven't had any problems. BlackBaud is one of the most sophisticated companies on the planet when it comes to data security, and they got hacked. So that should be a warning to us all. Well, up next, we've got another update on James McDonald. Yeah, seven months after launching a home church network for those who, in his words, struggle to get to church or to stay in church, former celebrity pastor James McDonald said that he was now suspending that network. According to an announcement on his website, McDonald said that the home church network um, 
was going to be suspended, would take a pause for a minimum of eight weeks. Then in mid-November, uh, they would reconnect with leaders and, and try to figure out what was going to be the next step for the new year. Did uh, McDonald give any reasons for that suspension? Well, he did, sort of. Uh, he said, and I'm quoting here, like many of you, after carrying an extended burden these long months, our team is in need of margin to regroup and strengthen our ministry platforms. McDonald added that the funding for the Home Church Network has been running at a deficit and creating services and managing other responsibilities associated with the ministry has been daunting at times. Daunting was his word. McDonald said that uh, many home church network leaders who had planned to lead groups this fall also had concerns about launching their groups because of COVID restrictions. Uh, so last year, I should add, uh, the elders of Harvest Bible Church disqualified McDonald from public ministry, saying that his behavior did not meet biblical standards. Standards. That, in fact, was why he left Harvest Bible Chapel and started uh, this home church network. Uh, the church has also conducted an audit and found that McDonald misused millions of dollars in church funds while he was there. Well, speaking of celebrity preachers, you have new information about Ravi Zacharias. Yeah, I do. Uh, new allegations of sexual harassment against Ravi Zacharias have prompted Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, which is the organization that he founded, to open an investigation into their late founder's behavior. The allegations were first reported in Christianity Today, and according to CT, Zacharias sexually harassed multiple massage therapists who worked at two day spas that Ravi Zacharias owned in the Atlanta suburbs, pretty near the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries headquarters. The three women who worked at the business told Christianity Today that Ravi Zacharias touched them inappropriately and exposed himself, among other things, that Unfortunately, Natasha, we can't describe on a family-friendly podcast. Warren, I want to pause you here. I know that you've gotten a lot of feedback from Ministry Watch readers since you first published this story last Friday. For for example, uh, some people say that these accusations are just that. They're accusations. They're not actually proven, and you shouldn't be reporting on them. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, let me just say that I think that's a great question, and it's one that we've struggled with here at Ministry Watch. I also want to add that I knew Ravi Zacharias for many years. I considered him a friend and spoke often at the same conferences with him. And I agree that gossip and rumors and unproven allegations should have no place in the thinking of Christians and certainly not in our news reporting. In fact, some of what was in the Christianity Today story has been rumored about out for years, and we've known about it here in Ministry Watch, but we'd refused to report uh, what we'd been hearing because we could not verify those accusations. However, I recommend that our listeners read both our article and the entire Christianity Today article. These accusations are no longer mere rumors, I'm sad to say. Credible witnesses and victims are speaking out. In fact, Ravi Zacharias' own business partner said that he regrets not stopping Ravi Zacharias and sent an apology text to one of the victims uh, last month. Uh, some are saying that the victims are speaking out because they want money, but if they did, uh, it seems a strange way to go about it. It would have made more sense for them to have gone to either Ravi or RZIM uh, and asked for money in order for them to maintain their silence. The fact that they've spoken out already 
causes them to lose their leverage in that negotiation. And I would also note that one of the victims, Lorianne Thompson, has already been paid by Robbie Zacharias, and she risks having to give that money back for breaking a non-disclosure agreement that she was forced to sign whenever she did receive that money. RZIM itself believes that there's enough truth to these accusations that, as I said earlier, they are now doing their own investigation. And I would add, finally, that some of the facts here are completely undisputed. For example, Ravi, it, Ravi Zacharias admitted that he, before he died, that he did, in fact, receive nude photos from Ann Thompson and that he did not disclose that matter either to his wife or to RZIM. And, of course, there's no doubt that Ravi owned these massage parlors. There's nothing illegal about that, but it is highly unusual and fits a pattern of behavior outlined in the story. Now, what about that argument that since Ravi Zacharias is dead, we should just leave him alone? Well, I think that's a fair question, too. But the answer is not as obvious as you think it might should be one way or the other. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries itself has a lot to answer for in all of this. It's sort of the classic, what did they know and when did they know it kind of a question. RZIM, for example, claimed that in the past it didn't know about any immoral behavior from Ravi until 2017, when Lorianne Thompson uh, actually made her accusations publicly. It uh, also said that it put safeguards in place to make sure that this can't happen with uh, any of its other traveling speakers, of which there are many in the ministry. Uh, but the bottom line here is that Ravi Zacharias is no longer around to answer for his behavior. RZIM still does have a lot to answer for, and other Christian ministries have a lot to learn from this situation. Yes, indeed. Well, Warren, we have to take a break, but when we return, new disclosures regarding Jerry Falwell Jr. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, up next, more on Jerry Falwell Jr. A key reason for Jerry Falwell Jr.'s departure from Liberty University was an Instagram photo showing Falwell with his pants unbuttoned on a luxury yacht. And we know the yacht is owned by billionaire NASCAR team owner Rick Hendrick. Falwell's family has been using that yacht for family vacations since Liberty University committed to a lucrative sponsorship deal with Hendrick Motorsports. Now, Warren, why is this piece of information so significant? 
Well, because Liberty has sponsored a car with Hendrick Motorsports since about 2018, neither Liberty University nor Hendrick Motorsports has announced the size of the sponsorship, but an annual sponsorship typically costs millions of dollars. Occasionally, the public gets a peek at the cost of these sponsorships. Uh, For example, there were some court filings uh, done a couple of years ago, obtained by ESPN during a a legal proceeding there. that indicated that Farmers Insurance paid Hendrick Motorsports about $8 million for a similar kind of NASCAR team sponsorship. Uh, according to Politico, uh, the uh, news organization that originally broke this story, a Liberty employee familiar with the university's contract with Hendrick Motorsports said that the sponsorship uh, was around $6 million a year. So the concern here is that Liberty University sponsored a Rick Hendrick race car so that the Falwells could use the yacht? Uh, Would that be a bribe? Well, if Falwell and his family made personal use of Rick Hendrick's yacht as a result of or as a condition for the sponsorship, that relationship does raise a number of ethical and potential legal problems for both Liberty and for the Falwells, including the possibility of what the tax code calls private inurement, which occurs when an officer of a nonprofit receives either an excessive, an undue, or a disproportionate share of the benefit from the transaction. Such transactions could be outright illegal if they can be proven to be bribes, or they could, at a minimum, be subject to taxation by the recipient, and that would be Jerry Falwell Jr. as income. Other than the obvious facts that Liberty paid Hendrick Motorsports and Jerry Falwell and his family benefited personally, are there other reasons to believe that something might not be above board here? Well, possibly. Uh, Hendrick has had previous run-ins with the law uh, regarding under-the-table deals that could be very similar to this one. Uh, For example, when Honda cars were in demand back in the 80s and 90s, uh, Hendrick gave hundreds of thousands of dollars. He gave automobiles and even houses to American Honda Motor Company executives in exchange for preferred treatment, including increased automobile allocations for Rick Hendrick dealerships. In fact, Rick Hendrick pled guilty to mail fraud charges and was sentenced in December of 1997 to a quarter of a million dollar fine and 12 months home confinement. In fact, he barely avoided prison time because at the time he had leukemia. Uh, During his trial, he told the court that he may only have a couple of years to live. Well, that was more than 20 years ago, so obviously he had a lot more than a couple of years to live. Yeah, in fact, soon after his home confinement period ended and he had met all of the terms of his punishment, he announced that miraculously his leukemia was in full remission and it's remained so ever since. So what's next? Well, Liberty University has said that it was going to do an audit on all of the business transactions for the entire tenure of Jerry Falwell Jr.'s presidency at Liberty. And these sponsorship transactions are sure to get more scrutiny. Now, Warren, let's shift gears a bit and talk about a phenomenon that is now taking place during the age of COVID. And that's something that's been dubbed Zoom bombing. Zoom bombing happens when an uninvited or disruptive person enters into an online conference. Is that really a thing? 
Yeah, well, apparently it has become a thing. Um, uh, here's an example from a story that we posted um, on Thursday, a uh, story written by our freelance writer, Bobby Ross. This past Sunday, Nick Glenn, the pastor of Sharp Road Church of Christ in Greensboro, North Carolina, preached a sermon called, Everything is Going to Be All Right. The lesson, which was taken from Psalm 37, was meant to be an encouragement to the 350-member congregation, the vast majority of whom were watching online. Now, at this church, the congregation does a lot of amening in the chat box that Zoom provides. And in an effort to be hospitable, the church also shares its Zoom connection information widely on social media uh, and has been doing that for months. But that openness uh, created a problem for them this past week. Uh, In the middle of this week's sermon, uh, a rapid-fire barrage of messages popped up. The statements were littered with racial slurs and hate speech. I should add that this is a predominantly African-American congregation, and one of the comments said, get off church and go pick your cotton. Another proclaimed, white lives matter. Wow, that is terrible. Is that happening elsewhere? Well, it is. Uh, Online trolls have been targeting churches and synagogues. But, Natasha, I want to mention kind of a personal story, hit a little close to home for us. After I edited this story from Bobby Ross and sent it to our webmaster, uh, Casey Suddeth, he emailed me back to say that a ministry that he was involved with called Ratio Christi, which is an apologetics ministry that's on college campuses all around the country, had also been recently Zoom-bombed with what Casey called ridiculous and vile messages. And, of course, he said it was really tough to actually get rid of the Zoom-bomber. Wow, that is crazy. So what can churches or Christian organizations do about this? Well, Pastor Glenn reported the attack to Zoom and to the Guilford County Sheriff's Office, but he said that he has no idea if the individuals involved are even traceable. Um, meanwhile, uh, Pastor Glenn, I should also add this, he kind of, uh, he went on his personal Facebook page and he wrote this, we got the memo a long time ago. You hate us. You think you're better. You don't want us here, but I want you to get our memo. We love you, despite your hatred towards us. And he added a P.S., and we aren't going anywhere. Well, good for him. Now, Warren, before we take another break, can you give us a quick recap of a rally that took place in Washington, D.C. last weekend? Yeah, tens of thousands of people gathered in Washington on Saturday for a rally in March organized by Christian leaders, including Franklin Graham. Graham insists that the march was not an effort to encourage voting or rally evangelicals to the polls instead of the November th- ahead of the November 3rd election. He said that his only agenda was to get people to repent and pray. The march began at about noon and paused at seven different locations along a 1.8-mile a route. At the World War II Memorial, for example, participants were asked to pray for the military, police, and law enforcement. And at the Washington Monument, they prayed for the salvation of the lost, a cure for the coronavirus, and an end to abortion. We certainly need that prayer. That's wonderful. Well, we have to take another break, but when we return, some parts of our country are taking the idea of Giving Tuesday and giving it a local twist, and we'll have details. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. 
Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Charitable donations might be slacking off due to the widespread unemployment and job insecurity, but that memo apparently never reached the Lone Star State. No, it sure didn't. Uh, In fact, the 12th annual North Texas Giving Day, which uh, took place in kind of mid-late September, uh, generated nearly $60 million, $58.8 million on behalf of more than 3,200 nonprofits in that local region. Additionally, more than 22,800 volunteers pledged that they would donate in excess of 685,000 hours in service to those ministries in the year ahead. Well, I think a lot of our listeners will know about Giving Tuesday, which happens the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Is this a local twist to that idea? Well, it is sort of, but I should also kind of give credit where credit is due. The North Texas Giving Day event actually predates Giving Tuesday by a couple of years. Uh, Although, obviously, Giving Tuesday has become a large national program, and last year generated about $2 billion, with a B, dollars in giving. But the idea of both giving and serving on a particular day has been a real shot in the arm to nonprofits in North Texas. And by the way, this is sort of the Dallas, Denton, uh, Plano, Fort Worth area, for those of you that are kind of interested in that. Uh, And uh, it's hoped that the North Texas Giving Day will uh, spawn some local spinoffs around the country. Hopefully. That would be great. Now, Warren, let's close today's episode, as we so often do, with another generous living story. What do you have for us? Yeah, today's story is about Mark and Laura Flug, who started out with very little in life, but they made a pact with themselves that if they should ever become wealthy, that they wouldn't succumb to the temptation to an affluent lifestyle. They had no desire to keep up with the Joneses, they said. But I take it that that commitment didn't last long. No, unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, Mark started climbing the corporate ladder. They started making more money. He was working for a large law firm in Midtown Manhattan, uh, which did a lot of deal work, mergers and acquisitions, Wall Street kind of stuff where there's big money. His job, he joked, was to make rich people richer. And he said he was good at it. He earned rewards for his work that were commensurate with uh, his contributions to these big merger and acquisition and private equity deals. Uh, The harder he worked, the more money he made. And this is the part where uh, he said that he really regrets the more he felt like he deserved it. Um, Things for me have always been identity-driven, Mark said. He loved cars, watches, nice things. But also, I wanted other people to recognize that I'd been successful, that I'd done something good. So what changed his perspective? 
Well, a big part of the change came when his wife, Laura, went through a generous giving weekend retreat called Journey of Generosity. Oh, we've talked about those retreats before. Uh, they must really work. Well, of course, everyone's different, but these uh, gen- Journey of Generosity retreats do give people a space to open up with their peers and talk about uh, their issues with money, with identity, and what the Bible says about generosity. For a whole lot of people, these Journeys of Generosity, or jogs as they're often called, can really be life-changing. What happened with Mark and Laura? Well, their entire journey is in Christina Darnell's great story, which is, of course, on our website. But here's the bottom line. They sold their home in New York and bought one farther out in the city, uh, one that they could use more for entertaining and also to have other journeys of generosity uh, for their friends and neighbors. They went from giving away about 3 to 4% of their income to now giving away, they say, 40% of their income. That's a really great story. And you can read more about it by going to Ministry Watch's website. And Warren, before we go, I know that you have an update for us about your new book, Faith-Based Fraud. Yeah, I do. Uh, Regular listeners to the podcast know that throughout the month of September, we were offering a free copy of my book, Faith-Based Fraud, to anyone who made a donation to Ministry Watch. Well, the demand for the book has been so great that we had to print more books to sort of meet the demand in September. That gives us a little bit of a surplus. So we're extending our offer through October. So if you missed the offer in September, it's not too late. If you'd like to know more about the book or to make a donation, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. Our database and other technical support come from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Bobby Ross, and Warren Smith. We also received editorial assistance this week from our friends at the Nonprofit Times. I'm Natasha Smith in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. May God bless you.